Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast for the week of June 29th, 2021. I'm Jim Henson, Director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. Happy to be joined again today after a couple of weeks of special guests by Josh Blank, Research Director of the Texas Politics Project. Mike, all adjusted. How are we doing, Josh? Doing very well. Happy to be back. Your voice, it's dulcet tones is Mm, how that sounds. Well, that's good to hear. Dulcet. (laughs) He thinks to himself, what is a dulcet? Front and center today for the podcast, uh, starting last Friday and continuing through Wednesday of this week, the Texas Tribune is releasing the results of the latest UT Texas Tribune poll that Josh and I conducted along with our colleague, Darren Shaw and... Our colleagues, of course, at the Texas Tribune, and as long as we're giving credit to everybody, our colleagues at YouGov. You'll find multiple stories at the Tribune site on various aspects of the poll this week, as well as our usual tandem release of graphics and drill down with cross tabs, and we'll have some writing up soon, I think. But most of that, the, the best place to find that is on the latest poll page of our website, at texaspolitics.utexas.edu. This poll focused on a mixture of subjects, our our usual trend items on Texans' quote-unquote mood, things like the track of the country and the states, views of the economy, views of people's uh, own economic conditions, approval ratings for a bunch of political leaders, including all the top of the ballot, shall we say, of statewide political leaders as well as uh, selected national leaders and institutions. There are also a lot of items looking at at opinions on what the legislature tackled and how they tackled it during the regular session, which was uh, recently concluded. All of that has now become, of course, something of a setup for the looming special session, which is going to be started here pretty quickly. We also revisited attitudes and reported behaviors about COVID-19 as part of our now, you know, year plus long project tracking the experience of COVID-19 in the state. Now, given that huge backdrop today, I thought we'd start uh, with something of a current events peg. Um, Donald Trump is coming back to Texas this week. I wish I had like a little some radio effects now, some applause, kind of a little bike horn. Kind of maybe, um, maybe in post. Maybe in post. No, I, I think I want to have it all like right here. Mm, yes. <laughs> yes. Our, our sound technicians are going, no, you can't do that. I'm going to um, get you a rain stick for your birthday. At any, <laughs> at any rate, Donald Trump is coming back to Texas this week for a, a joint appearance at the Texas-Mexico border with Governor Greg Abbott. I think this is much anticipated in the state and likely to get a good deal of national media attention. Um, And this comes as Governor Abbott has launched a a kind of multi-front policy and political offensive on the subject of border security and immigration. I I think we've already talked on the podcast a few times about the Governor Abbott's, 
announced plan to build a Texas-funded wall. We're getting, I'm seeing coverage in, in several media markets and a lot on social media today about various kind of law enforcement units from states with Republican governors being sent to Texas to pitch in. So this is going to be a big event this week that comes in a very contextually rich setting. So, you know, starting with the poll, Josh, what in the poll do you think helps set the stage for this visit? Well, I think the thing that sort of most obviously sets the stage for this visit is is looking at and looking at the trends behind Texans' views of what are the most important problems facing the state. And, you know, if you look at the most recent poll we just released, 34% of Texans, so plurality, this is sort of the biggest topic said that immigration or border security security was the most important issue that the state of Texas is currently facing right now. And the thing to know is that this is driven almost primarily, but not wholly, but largely by Republican voters. So 59% of Republican voters said that immigration or border security is the most important issue facing the state. Another way to look at that, just to, you know, in terms of just trying to interpret what does that mean, you say, well, you know, if you were to find a random Republican voter, it's likely that two out of three, if you ask them, what's the biggest issue that Texas is facing right now, would say immigration or border security. So the attention that we see Abbott laying on it, others, is really unsurprising. I think what might be surprising for people kind of going back over, I mean, in some ways the year of polling you've mentioned over COVID is the fact that nothing else has really dented the durability and the strength of uh, the importance of this issue to Republican voters. So if we go back to to you know sort of not when you know before the pandemic had begun spreading in Texas, uh, but you know it was sort of something that we were watching nation, uh, internationally in February of 2020, 54 percent of Republican voters said that immigration or border security is the most important problem. Pretty similar to where we are today. By April, with COVID kind of taking over the news, 27 percent of Republicans said COVID was the top issue facing the state, but 26 percent still said immigration and border security. So ultimately, even as COVID was was advancing, really it was only on even par with Republicans in terms of you know how much how important of an issue they thought it was. Amazingly, by June, when really if you think about if you go back and look at the curves and the case count, when the curve was really starting to ramp up, at that point only nineteen percent said COVID was the top issue. Now it was twenty nine percent said immigration border security. So still the top issue. And this is by June of twenty twenty. So this is a year ago. Immigration border security was still a big issue. We jump ahead, let's say to February of this year, 46% said it was uh, immigration or border security, only 13% COVID. And amazingly, in March, when we pulled just after the winter storm and, and all of the you know unpleasantness associated with, with that, including a lot of death, 61% of Republicans said immigration or border security was the number one issue facing the fa- state. Only 6% said COVID. 1% said energy. Or any, and maybe another one percent said anything else related potentially to the grid and the blackouts. So this is just an issue that just is a perpetual set piece, really, for Republican politics in the state in a way that really few issues can even come close to mirroring. There's so many different directions to run with this. I mean, I think it's interesting, particularly I think you know most recently to look at just how dominant. We use this phrase a lot, I think both of us, I rely on it probably too much, but just, you know, the ability of border security and immigration to just take up so much cognitive real estate among Republicans as a group. I'm really struck by the fact that to jump ahead a little bit into another result in the poll, but in this context, it's not as if Republican voters like Democratic voters are particularly optimistic about what's going to happen with the power grid after the experience that we had in the state in February. And yet somehow that problem hasn't risen 
to become competitive in salience because you know what was the result i mean only something like in the it was 20% than, or so yeah. thought that the legislature had acted in a way that would improve the reliability of the electric grid moving forward i right. think that's about right it was less than 1 in 5 for sure and it was less than 1 in 5 in any group who are either very you know extremely or very confident the legislature right. basically has done anything effective related to this and so it's you know i mean I, to be fair i suppose that there are a lot of people that just think that the grid is too big a problem i mean this you know which br- this brings us into a whole other topic but that the yeah. but that the grid is too big a problem for government to tackle but in a lot of ways i mean tractability can only get you so far in expanding those things because, you know, to be, you know, I don't think you have to be an MSNBC commentator to observe that at this point in time, building a wall on the Texas border is a, a daunting practical problem. Mm -hmm. And B, even if you could snap your fingers and have barriers up and down, you know, from one end of the border to the other, that it's going to be incredibly effective at assuaging the problem. And so I think the intractability of the problem doesn't get you very far, even though I'm tempted to kind of go there. Well, it's funny. I mean, I think that's a funny comparison to bring up in some ways, but it's also really telling, right? I mean, I think there's 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 two sort of, you know, I think broad lessons to draw from that comparison, right? One is the fact that, you know, on the one hand, you have this this very, you know, seemingly very salient recent issue in the case of the winter storm that really affected, you know, I don't want to say affected everybody, affected a lot of people and a lot, and it certainly affected most people in the state in a pretty serious way. Yeah. Our own polling in right. March, then the, the polling we did right after the incident with the Energy Institute at UT, I, as I recall, two thirds of respondents in that poll said that they experienced some kind of hardship or, you know, some kind of impact as a result of the storm and the outages. Right. And and anecdotally, we know from people in and around the process that they were hearing about it from their constituents, (laughs) probably still are. But what's interesting is that, you know, this is a policy area where everybody gets touched. I mean, ultimately, if if the legislature went, fixed the grid, came back, you know, and there was never a problem again, it was stronger, it was more resilient, you know, I mean, again, you kind of get, you don't really get a lot of credit for not for bad things not happening. But ultimately, you know, when bad things do happen, people are clearly going to say, hey, what did the legislature do? And they're going to say nothing. There's going to be some kind of a ramification there. So on the one hand, you know, it's interesting. You've got this policy here where you know, everybody could potentially feel it. And then you've got this other sort of big thing, immigration, that even though it's not something – I mean, as again, I think it's funny you were saying, you know, the grid is this big intractable problem. And then you're, I mean, then we say, well, of course. So is immigration and so border security. So is immigration and border security. <laughs> And I mean, so I mean, so that's you know, funny those two issues being compared. But then the other piece I would just add to this is the grid is something that happened and clearly affected people in a way that they told us it affected them. Immigration is something that, regardless of what's going on, people still tell us it's a huge problem. And this is not to say, and and I just want to put this out there because one of the things I didn't say when I went through the rundown is, look, I think it would be disingenuous to say that there's not an issue at the border right now. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, it'd be be wrong. (laughs) It'd be wrong. So, I mean, I want to say, it's not to say it's not a policy problem, but the the point to just draw out of this is that, you know, attention to immigration and border security does not depend on conditions on the ground. It is always there. So it's not to be dismissive of, you know, the current crisis. It's just to point out in that trend really the nature of what crisis or crises are currently in the ether don't really affect Republican attachment to this issue. Right. And so, I mean, I, I think that does, you know, lead us inevitably to the currents that are informing attention to the problem, you know, the underlying political and attitudinal currents that are that are directing people's attention 
to the border and, and keeping them focused on border security and, and immigration. And we have, you know, a lot of, you know, we didn't ask that many specific questions in this poll because we've asked, we'd asked in April and we've asked a lot before, but, you know, there are well-formed and intense opinions about specific policy preferences among Republicans that, you know, probably do inform part of this question, uh, the answer to the question we're asking here about why the durability and and why the salience compared to other things that do seem to impact people directly. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I mean, we could point to a million. I mean, when you say, you know, we, <laughs> we, we didn't ask about it in April, it's like, I mean, I kind of want to say, because we've asked about well, we didn't ask about it in June, but we, yeah, oh, sorry, but we June, had no, asked sorry. about it in April, right? No, you're right. Oh, no. So we had asked but about that's your June. point. Yeah. Right. Is that we asked, I mean, we've asked so many questions about immigration, both, you know, sort of trend questions to get general assessments and specific questions relevant to whatever it might be at a time, whether it's separating parents and children, whether it's the current surge of unaccompanied minors, whether it's legal immigration, illegal immigration, onward, and et cetera. And the point is, is that, you know, as a broad summary statement, the most important problem doesn't tell us the direction of the policy that Republicans want to pursue. But the response to all of these questions show that there's, without fail, a majority of Republican voters who would take the punitive position on any aspect of any immigration question, whether it has to do with the contribution of immigrants, whether it has to do with what we should do with undocumented immigrants currently in the country, whether it has to do with legal immigration, illegal immigration, children at the border, border security spending, a wall, sanctuary cities. I could go on and on because we've asked about all of it. And so it's not really like there's not a clear signal for Republican office holders on this. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's real directional guidance, if you will, to be as stale as possible in a lot of those questions. But even in terms of, you know, I think another another way of looking at this salience and kind of thinking about just how powerful these attitudes are and how, how big a presence it is, is to look at when it directly competes with other Republican priorities. So, you know, one of the big questions that is clearly raised by Governor Abbott's recent advocacy for, you know, Texas paying for a much needed set of barriers in Texas is that this is an expensive project in a state that has historically been pretty stingy about public spending. And yet, if you look at going into, when you look at some of the results we got Going into the session in February, we were asking about spending and we asked people broadly, as I recall, do you think Texas, you know, you know, should spend more, spend less or keep the budget about the same on a bunch of different items? 61 percent of Republicans wanted to spend more on border security. Right. And at that point, Texas was already spending, I think, between 800 and 900 million dollars over each biennium. And Republicans were very willing to spend more. Now, I think how much more and for what is a fair question to ask. And I think it is going to be a question that looms over here. And I kind of go back and forth. I mean, if you ask me at this moment, I think Governor Abbott probably has a lot of latitude, you know, to spend more money if the if the legislature will give it to him and if he can find it. But I don't know. I don't know where the limit is. Well, it sort of raises this question of, you know, and I mean, I think it's a question that's been out there and kind of recast a bunch of times, both, I think, in the, you know, at the onset of Trump's presidency and certainly in its wake, which is, you know, what does it mean to be a Republican at this point? And what does that look like? What are the ideological underpinnings? And I think, yeah. you know, there's this, I mean, you know, you're alluding to sort of 
you know, you could say the sort of the classic, well, there's a constitutional conservative and you say, well, except that immigration is a federal policy. You can say there's fiscal conservatism. It's like, yeah, but we remember two sessions ago when DPS was laughed out of the room for asking for a billion dollars. Yeah, they were worse than laughed out. They were kind of called on the carpet and, you know, given a little bit of a thumping expectedly by Democrats, but also by Republicans. Right. But what's interesting here is, you know, you see this issue in, in immigration border security. I'm not sure this is the only issue, so I wouldn't necessarily set it out where, you know, at this point, kind of like a lot of things in the Trump presidency, and I'm not just putting this as part of Trump, because I think as we've been really clear, and I should say right here, these attitudes predate President Trump by a by long, long time, <laughs> by a long shot. But ultimately, there does seem to be, you know, an ends justify the means kind of argument towards this, you know, kind of form of governing at this point that really says, well, you know, these principles are abstract. And ultimately, you know, the other thing that's kind of in the poll that we're, you know, we don't really plan to talk about, I think we're going to talk about now, but it's something else to consider later, is, you know, Republican orientation towards sort of the business interests and business groups that have often really, you know, probably cautioned a softer tone on immigration, you know, I would say have probably also been some of the biggest proponents of sort of fiscal conservatism and limited government are kind of in a position right now where they're a little bit at odds with the Republican Party over their positioning on social justice issues and really other issues in society, voting, et cetera. Yeah. And well, and I think the business groups, you know, have always picked their spots on these big kind of macro level issues like this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think we're going to continue to see that, but, you know, we're going to continue to see that with in, in this area. I mean, I, you know, is it, you know, so I, you know, I, I think since, you know, we've gone this far on this, you know, we should also then talk about kind of the politics on the you know, the other side of this, if you will. And that, mm-hmm. you know, we also did ask for, you know, specific job approval ratings for Greg Abbott and for Joe Biden in on border security and, and immigration issues. You know, I think, you know, Abbott's looked about like we would expect, you know, they were not that different, as I recall, from his overall approval numbers, but there was a big difference in the Biden numbers. Yeah. Biden was only at 27 approved, 57 disapproved. So we asked about Biden approval overall, where he's a little bit underwater on COVID, where he was above water and, you know, continues to be one of his strong, strong, you know, uh, policy areas, the economy where he was underwater, but then on immigration, border security, way underwater. So a majority of voters disapprove of the job he's doing. Only 27% approve. So that's a net negative 30, approve minus disapprove. Republicans are overwhelmingly disapproving. 89% disapprove most of those strongly, which is not surprising, right? If you follow politics in any way, shape or form. But only 56% of Democrats approve and 18% disapprove. So you're getting to a point where, you know, about one in five Texas Democrats don't really approve of the job Biden's doing on the border. I think that's why we saw Vice President Harris come down recently. Clearly, this is not an issue that they can kind of wish away because it's becoming a real drag. Right. And we should, you know, and, and, you know, I think there's two things to underline, I think, about that. One is that Democratic objections to the president's performance on immigration and border security some are probably similar to Republican criticisms, particularly in terms of border security, strictly speaking, in terms mm-hmm. of safety and increases in crime and mayhem in the, in the border area. Right. Which have been pretty widely reported in our, in our, you know, concerns of, you know, these are some of these concerns have been articulated by Democratic members in the border area as well. So there's that piece that, you know, the Democratic job approval, some of it's coming from that place, but some of it is also coming from a perpetual democratic disappointment in how democratic presidents have handled the border in terms of practical policy, addressing long-term solutions, 
um, and on humanitarian grounds. And Biden is, you know, having some of the same problems that Barack Obama had throughout his presidency on this issue. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that you know, Democrats have the difficulty of balancing, you know, their orientation towards border policy and, the, and border security with, you know, the constituencies of their party, which tend to be diverse and have, you know, probably, well, and I just, you know, definitionally have more interaction with immigrant communities based on just the overall composition of the parties. You know, Republicans don't have that same problem. The problem for, you know, a Democratic president in Texas is that, you know, I would say, you know, Hispanic attitudes towards the Hispanic voter attitudes towards these issues in Texas, and even Democratic attitudes towards these issues in Texas aren't, you know, certainly are not universally liberal. And so there's a tension here between, you know, I would say the experience of, you know, I would say what are can be, you know, let's say, you know, quote unquote, good Democratic voters in Texas who still, you know, see a problem at the border and want to see it addressed. And I think, you know, I would say national Democratic aspirations to be appealing to more and more diverse voters. And it's just, it's not really working. Right. And so, you know, I was saying there's two aspects of this that I think are worth underlining. That's one of them is that kind of what's going on internally in in the, you know, the Democratic coalition, if you will, or among Democratic voters and, and Democratic elites for that matter, mm-hmm. you know, some of whom have been kind of a thorn in the in the Biden administration's side on, on, on these issues. I, you know, won't mention any names other than <laughs> Henry Cuellar. Yeah, I was going to say. But I would also, um, you know, but I think the other point to, to underline here is that, again, in strictly political terms, that also makes this a pretty good issue for Republicans, and in particular for the governor, who you sort of talk about this, you know, frequently, and I think it's a good point to make. And it's not that Greg Abbott ever enjoyed, you know, some huge amount of crossover support, but at a couple of peaks during crisis times, you know, he's gotten in the ballpark of about a quarter of Democrats giving him at least a guardedly positive job approval rating. Mm-hmm. I think he peaked at 24 at the early stages of the 24% among Democrats in the early stages of the COVID pandemic. Now, that's all gone down, but to the extent that you're an Abbott team that is certainly focused right now on Republican on Republican primary issues, like a lot of, right. I mean, there's no two ways about that. But, you know, it is possible for a good campaign to look for issues that allow them to do two things at once. And this that makes this not a terrible issue for the governor in terms of some of the Democrats that you're talking about that might be a little bit more the moderate end or might be considering, you know, their certainly their, their, their job assessment and job approval ratings based on some more proximate conditions. I think that, I mean, I think that's a, a really good point, a really good way to look at it because I mean, what I'm thinking about is you're describing that is, you know, if you're Greg Abbott right now and you're thinking, okay, I'm heading, you know, into a Republican primary, I'm, I'm relatively confident in a general election. What do I want to talk about? And let's say the issues are, the issue basket includes immigration as a possibility, but also some of these other issues we've been talking a lot about, voting rights, guns, abortion, some of the really, you know, hot button stuff that the legislature has been addressing. All of those issues are clearly attractive to Republican primary voters. But one of the things that, you know, has been kind of going on here is they're attractive to a point, you know, Republicans have been in charge for a while. They have to, you know, sort of pursue increasingly extreme policies to to cater to, uh, you know, the most active primary voters in their party. But ultimately, that still means that you've got somewhere between twenty and thirty percent of Republicans who are like, you know, I don't know if we should be having people walking around with guns without training, right? You know, and that's a perfectly reasonable thing to, thing to say. Or At completely the same, banning abortion, right? At the same time, those issues garner 
a negative response among 85 to 95 percent of Democrats and most of it strongly. There's right. no question about it. So if I'm sitting there and I'm a Democratic candidate right now, and let's say you know Greg Abbott wants to talk about guns or abortion, I'm not sure that I'm not relatively comfortable with that given where the attitudes are in my party and the fact that there's certainly a lot of conflict, at least among independents and even a little bit among Republicans. But on immigration, Abbott can go and rely on the fact that most of his partisans agree with him. Most of them agree with him strongly on this issue. Really, there's very, there's almost, I don't want to say there's not a line he could cross because there definitely is, and it usually involves children here at the border. But he can pursue pretty much, I wouldn't say any policy, but close to any policy. And the fact is, and there's, and in this case, there'll be some Democrats who are like, well, it's better than what we're doing. Right. Well, and, and on the point about children, I mean, I, I, you know, that brings up something that I've been wanting, you know, we just produced a column that's under review at the Tribune right now, and hopefully we'll, we'll get Ross's sign off on this. But, you know, something I couldn't find a place for in, in that piece, you know, as you raise the point about children and that there are limits on this has been, I think, something very notable in the governor's re-emphasis of these issues mm-hmm. in the post-legislative pre-2022 context. And that's the his recourse, his, his, I, I'm going to say recourse, his deployment of a very emotional tone mm-hmm. in talking about the way that the Biden administration has, in, you know, from, you know, in their messaging, endangered Texans and put people on the border and all Texans in danger because of his lack of, because the Biden administration's failure, and even the suggestion that, you know, the humanitarian crisis, the degree to which, you know, there are vulnerable populations being hurt by this, he evinces a kind of anger when he's blaming the Biden administration about that. And for you, if you look at it, it's very performative. And it's, uh, uh, you know, and, and it's been repeated too many times, I think. I've Going back and looking at the last few press conferences that he's done in, in public events, it strikes me that they're very aware of that point that you are making in the way that they are approaching this. You know, you said something a few weeks ago in an email that I'll repeat here, which is we're not really here here to cast blame at the Texas Politics Project. But as you speak about that, it's hard for me not to think about the fact that the state's own child protective services apparatus is under federal conservatorship because it's endangered children so much. Yeah. And so that's why, I mean, when you say, you know, well, it's, it feels almost performative. I mean, you know, I know that like, I mean, you're a little resistant saying that I'm a little hesitant saying that, except yeah. for the fact that you go, well, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, if you could see us, we're both kind of throwing our hands up. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, I mean, I just think it's, it's, I think you have to really work overtime to ignore what's right in front of your face. If you don't notice that that is going on in some of the tonal messaging that's been going on. And I, you know, I, I expect we'll see a lot more of it. I could be wrong. And I, I would say this, if I'm wrong, then we won't see any of it on Thursday, but I'll bet you right. a lot that when, when that event happens at the border, that we will see, you know, a projection of, of, of anger from the governor. And if we don't, I mean, you know, I, if we don't, it's because Trump didn't let well, us Well, I mean, I would say if I don't, it's because, <laughs> you know, he doesn't really want to, you know, I would understand the governor not wanting to try to compete with the former president's ability to be performative. Let's put it that way. That's a wise decision. I I think there is one last thing to point out before we go. And that is, you know, just, I think anticipating the fact that, that Donald Trump would continue to be a factor in Republican politics. And, you know, I don't think we knew that he was coming to the border yet when we designed the last, when we wrote the last poll, but 
you know, as sometimes happens, we got lucky and we had uh, we had a Trump approval rate, you know, fav unfav favorability rating since we are not approving his the job he's doing anymore. Although I'm sure he's doing a bang up job running that corporation. And his approval numbers were basically as high as they've ever been in Texas, right? Yeah, right. I mean, you know, they look a lot like any Republican elected official, or at least any. Put, let me put it out there. So, forty-seven approved or had a favorable opinion. Forty-seven had an unfavorable. Ninety-one percent of Democrats had an unfavorable opinion. Eighty-eight percent of Democrats a very unfavorable opinion. Eighty-six percent of Republicans had a favorable opinion. Fifty-six percent a very favorable opinion. And this is really tied, you know, for his highest overall net rating. It's a pretty fixed pattern. And ultimately, by now, I mean, it didn't start now, out that way, but it, you know. He plateaued and stayed there pretty early, right? I mean, I think the notable thing, just to, as we're you know, ending on this piece, is that you know Trump started, sort of came onto the scene in a, in a national way. I mean, he'd obviously run for president before, but we started polling about him seriously, you know, heading into the 2016 primaries and the 2016 election. And you know, at first, his evaluations were extremely negative, and they were negative among Democrats, they were negative among Republicans. It was just negative. He became president. I think you know, especially I mean, the, the peak of that negativity sort of came just before the election when everybody thought he was going to lose. He won. And then all of a sudden, you know, Republicans came around. Yeah. Although his Republican numbers did, did start to recover as it, as he became a winner, I think. I think it will. But the, but the thing is, everybody thought going into October that he was going to lose. So there's right. already- I mean, a winner of, in the primary. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, a little bit. You know, I think the thing that's interesting is, you know, we sort of set Trump out as this kind of, you know, I don't know, this, this other entity and, you know, that sort of is this so different than everything else. And I think one of the notable things in this poll- as you know, we kind of think about you know the power that Trump exerts over the party and all that. And this is something again, it's sort of interesting to me watching this poll for ten years is the fact that Democrats now rate Republican officials almost uniformly as negatively amongst the group as anyone. So what I and that's a weird way to say that, but what I mean by that, let me say that better, is that as negative as Democrats' attitudes towards Donald Trump are, ultimately they have nearly as negative attitudes towards Ted Cruz. They have nearly as negative and universal attitudes towards Greg Abbott. You know, we looked at Ken Paxton. Sixty-six percent of Democrats have a negative view of Ken Paxton. We think of Ken Paxton, the Attorney General, someone that like people might not know. A majority of Democrats hold say that they disapprove strongly of the job that Ken Paxton is doing as Attorney General. Now, again, he's a special case, but the point is that in general, right now, the goodwill that you know Republicans get expects from some Democratic voters in the state has evaporated. Hence our discussion earlier about needing to do some poll work on negative partisanship yes. in the near future. I think in the near future. So Donald Trump will be in Texas this week. Keep an eye out for that. He is, you know, I think not to underline, not not to discount the point just made, but he comes still riding a wave of popularity, at least among Republicans in Texas, mm -hmm. that uh, makes him an asset. And I think it makes the both the optics and the the performative aspects we can anticipate this week uh, at the border and his event with Governor Abbott uh, of much interest. So keep an eye out for that. Thanks to Josh for being here today. Thanks to our crew in the development studio in the College of Liberal Arts for their elect, uh, excellent production help, as always. Uh, you can find the data we discussed today and much, much more, again, on the Texas Politics Project website, texaspolitics.utexas.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin.